You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Now, what, what an incredible phrase. The Lord, the one who reigns majestic over all of the earth. That is who we've come to, to give praise to, and that's who we've come to learn about today. And so as you remain standing, I want to read a, a text that actually talks about the Lord. It uses this phrase, Lord, three times. Listen now. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22 says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, He will save us. We'll stop right there and have a seat. I'm so excited to have you here today as we continue in this series where we're we're looking at some titles for the Lord, for Christ, that, that are found in the book of Isaiah. And we're looking at them beyond Isaiah at Christ. And, and actually, the backdrop of this is, is really the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. If you've sung that song before, that song is actually built off of these scriptures. And so what we've been doing is really taking the Christmas season to honestly just glory in Jesus. Make, make much of him and, and kind of brag on Christ as much as we can. And we're going to continue that today, looking at how Christ is the Lord of might. But, but to set some things up for you, I mean, it is, it is Christmas season. It is the first Sunday of December, uh, even though none of you and were not doing Christmas parties, I guess. I didn't see who raised their hand or who didn't, but really sad. We got, I guess we have to have a Christmas party or something. Uh, but that said, it is Christmas season, and there are lots of things to love about the Christmas season, right? The lights, the decorations, the songs, and the eggnog. Anybody with me? Uh, there are two types of people in the world, those who love eggnog and those who hate eggnog. Who loves eggnog? Okay, uh, good. God bless you. Who, who does not want anything to do with eggnog? Like, don't even want to smell it. Keep it away from me, okay? You guys just, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I, let me tell you something. I, I love eggnog. I mean, I, I really do. My oldest son, he's taken a liking to it too. He can drink like a full glass every night and he doesn't gain like a single ounce. I just, it's amazing, right? But I love eggnog, but right now I'm in a season of my life where my doctor thinks that she knows how to like run my life better than I do, right? And so she's told me all these things about what I'm not supposed to eat right now. In fact, we had a conversation about six weeks ago, and she kind of laughed, and she said, I know it's the holiday season, (laughs) but she said, no gluten, no dairy, and no eggs, right? And she laughed. I I was like, why are you laughing, lady? Why are you, what's wrong with you, right? And so now it is Christmas season, and I am, I am kind of not eating those things. Like, you know what I mean, right? But, but here's the thing. Uh, I'm not doing the eggnog. I did do eggnog on Thanksgiving. I'll probably have a few more glasses. But, but my wife, God bless her, she's been buying all these fake eggnogs, right? These, you know, like the, the lactate eggnog and the oat eggnog and all these, these fake ones. And every time I drink them, it's like rubbing salt in the wound. <laughs> because they just don't compare. I mean, if you love eggnog, the thickness, these don't have the thickness the, the, the flavor combination, they, they, they come close, but they don't quite get there. And, and here's the reason why I share that is because is I think many of us in our faith, many of us in the way we pursue Jesus, we do the same thing. Instead of having the pure Jesus, who he has revealed himself to be in the scripture, 
Instead of looking at the fullness of how he talks about himself, what we often do is we kind of water it down. Sometimes we end up gravitating toward part of Jesus. We like a certain characteristic about Jesus, and so we, we talk about that attribute, we talk about that characteristic, we cling on to that one, and it's not bad to focus on one aspect of Jesus. The danger is we do it and we ignore all the other things Jesus has said about himself. Sometimes we do this when it comes to grace. Oh, Jesus is full of grace. And because Jesus is full of grace, we want to talk about his grace, and we want to sing about his grace, and we want to hold on to his grace. And, and we like that grace so much that we even might say, well, he is so full of grace, and he is so full of forgiveness that Sometimes my sin, you know, it just doesn't really matter. And, and he doesn't have much to say about holiness or about truth anyway. Or maybe we fall on the other side of the spectrum where we know the word. We know his truth. We know that he is king. We know that he is Lord. And so we, we cling on to those truths. And sometimes we even look down our nose at those who don't seem to get it. At those who might be, maybe aren't living a righteous life. And, and we view Jesus as the, the judge who is on our side, especially against those who maybe uh, disagree with us or have offended us. But you know, whether we cling to his grace or whether we cling to his truth, if we do so without considering the other end, what we end up doing is kind of like drinking watered-down vegan eggnog, right? We miss the fullness of who Christ is and how he's revealed himself. Now, here, here's a little bit of a disclaimer this morning. In the next little bit of time we have together, there's no way I can possibly describe the fullness of Christ. But here's what I would like to do. I would like to invite you today. Now, instead of having a big idea, I would like to invite you into this one passage, Isaiah 33, 22. And then we're going to look at how Jesus talks about actually fulfilling these roles in the book of John. And here is what I want to invite you to do today. I want you to come and find the grace and truth of the Lord and Savior. That's, that's my big idea today. Come. Come explore with me the, the majesty of Christ. Come, come discover or rediscover the glory of, of the full picture of Christ in his, his strength and in his grace. Come find the grace and truth of the Lord and Savior. So with that said, if you have not opened up your Bible yet, will you open up to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22? And like I mentioned a moment ago, if you want to maybe put your finger in the book of John, we're going to be looking in the book of John quite a bit as well. But let's begin, and let me read our text for you again, and then let's just jump into really looking at each of these descriptions. Isaiah 33, verse 22, in the Hebrew, it's only nine words. Three of those words are the word Lord over and over and over again. Look at the text. It says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Now, this text is talking about the Lord. And in, uh, in the context, Isaiah is, is speaking. And at this point, 
Ahaz is no longer the king. If you were here with us two weeks ago, we talked about how King Ahaz, who was a wicked and rebellious king who did not lead the people of Judah in the right way, he was an evil man, but he is no longer the king. His son Hezekiah is now the king. And Hezekiah, he, in some ways he's better, in some ways not so much. He just kind of strings along the people of Israel in, in some worship for a while, but, but he doesn't end up leading the, the people in a way that really does reflect the glory of a king. And in fact, if you back up just a few verses to verse 17, you see that Isaiah here, he's not talking about the earthly king in that moment. He's not talking about Hezekiah. He's got his vision beyond it to a king that will actually succeed in being a beautiful king and being a king of majesty and being a king that reigns over the the people in, in the land. Verse 17 says, Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. See, that's not what the people of Israel were experiencing. They were experiencing a land that was constrained. They were experiencing a land that had the the foreign nations impeding upon them. It was like their their lands were getting closed in upon little by little. They they were feeling like shriveled and and shrunken, not not the land, land being broad and open. See, this is talking about a king beyond Hezekiah. This is talking about the promise, actually, that we can connect even to the king who will govern, as it's described in Isaiah chapter 9. If you were to back up a little bit further, let me do a little bit more context work. If you back up a little bit further to Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about this king, this this child who brings hope and peace, like these candles that we just lit. Here's what it says in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This will sound familiar. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, when when Isaiah 33 is talking about this king, it's talking about that king. It's talking about the king where the government shall rest upon his shoulders. It's talking about the king that will truly and faithfully lead for all eternity. It's actually, it's talking about the Messiah king. It's talking about the Lord. It's talking about Jesus. This is a text that is about Jesus. And what we're going to see is Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy of this king who will be, or this Lord who will be judge and lawgiver and king and savior. And so, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at each of these descriptions, kind of like we did last week. Last week when we talked about how Jesus is the wisdom that you need, we just looked each, at each of the descriptions and we just marveled at how Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Let's do that again today. Let's just, let's just marvel at how amazing Jesus is in the fullness of his roles, not just our pet characteristic that we like more than the rest. Let's take a big picture view of Jesus today. And let's start with this very first description, which is the Lord Jesus is our judge. 
When's the last time you thought of Jesus as judge? So often we tend to think of Jesus maybe in, in his, his kindness. So often we think of Jesus in his graciousness. So often we think of Jesus and his forgiveness. But, but Jesus himself describes his role as the ultimate judge. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 5. Starting in verse 22, this is an amazing picture of Jesus. He's actually speaking here, describing his role as judge. He says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all, might, or that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Wow. You see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that the heavenly Father has given the responsibility for all judgment to him. He actually says that the, 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 the hour is coming when the graves will give up their dead to judgment. This is pictured in Revelation. We don't have time to cover that today. But at the end of Revelation, that's exactly what happens is everyone who's ever walked the earth, that they are resurrected to, to the, the final judgment. See, the point here is not only is Jesus and the Father completely unified, not only are they one, they're never opposed, they're never against each other, the point here is that Jesus, he has the ultimate responsibility as judge. That means that all will be judged by Christ. This really challenges our Jesus is my best friend idea. Does he call us friends? Absolutely. He says that to his followers, to his disciples, but, it, but he is also, big picture, he is the one who will judge all. And it, he says how the judgment will turn out. He says that the believer receives eternal life. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has, who has sent me has eternal life. This is, this is how the judgment works well for us, is if we believe the words of Christ and if we believe in the heavenly Father that sent Jesus. He continues, he says, he does not come into judgment, but it's passed from death to life. What a great promise. The promise for those who believe in Christ. You were given the promise that on that final day of judgment, you have eternity waiting for you. Eternal life, life that is found in the Father, life that is found in the Son. We sang at, uh, in one of our songs, uh, life is given by and through him. This is, this is where we have life, in Christ. 
But the second side of this is the evildoer receives eternal judgment. Those who do evil, they're judged for eternity. This, this is an eternal separation from God. This is eternal separation from God in whom is goodness, in whom is love. This judgment, this separation, this, what the, Jesus calls as hell, this is actually a separation from anything good, from anything loving. That, that's what makes it so terrible. It is completely separated from the goodness of God. And this is, this is Jesus' responsibility. To those who believe, it's not that they've never done evil, it's that they believe so they're given eternal life. Those who don't believe, it's that they have done evil without believing in Christ and their judgment is solidified. To Jesus, he is the judge. The Lord Jesus is judge. Then the next question is, well, what is he judged by? What is his standard? How does he determine the judgment that he lays forward? Does he judge one day because he's having a good day and so he judges kindly? And then another day he's, he's having a bad day and so he judges grumpy? And then another day he doesn't get his eggnog and so he's really mad and everyone's in trouble? How, how does Jesus go about with his judgment? Well, Jesus isn't just the judge. Jesus is, he's the lawgiver. Back to Isaiah 33, 22. We see the Lord Jesus is the lawgiver. It says the Lord is our judge. The Lord is the lawgiver. And I want to think about this in two ways. I want to think, first of all, of at Mount Sinai, when God gives his, his law to Israel. And we, we talked about that this last uh, a year and a half ago. We actually walk through the Ten Commandments. I don't have the time to, to layer over all of that again, but what we said in that series is the law of God serves a handful of different purposes. One of those purposes is to reveal God's character. And so when the, the, God says, do not murder, God is saying, I am the creator of life. All life has value. All life bears my image. Do not take the life of an image bearer and murder. When God says, do not commit adultery, he says, I am the one who created marriage. I value marriage. I value holiness. I am holy, and so you are to walk in my character. God lays out his law as a way of showing us who he is. The law shows us who he is, but you know what else the law does is it shows us who we are. We can't help but read the law and realize we've failed. All of us are lawbreakers. All of us are rebellious against the law. And so what that means is the law reveals that we need that we need a savior. We're going to talk about the savior in a moment when we get to that last point, but but that's what the law does. So God gives us his law and then Jesus picks up on that theme back to John. Jesus as the one who fulfills the law, Jesus as the one who never violates even the smallest command in the law, Jesus who is the the perfect sinless son of God, he says these words to his disciples who he now calls friends in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. Jesus says, a new command, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, this is the new command. 
but it's not really a new command. It's a, it's a repeating and, and a re-giving of the great command. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37, Jesus has just been questioned, teacher, what is the greatest of the commands? Many of you know his response. If you don't, listen to this. Jesus has all of the Old Testament law going through his mind. He, he's asked, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? Even of the 10, what is the greatest? How does he respond? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus says this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Jesus says all of this Old Testament scripture all of the expectations, all of the regulations, the entirety of the law, and even the prophetic word that was given, all of it hang on these two commandments. What are these two commandments? Love the Lord your God. We could describe this as the first four commandments in the Old Testament on, given to Moses. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want us to think about Jesus as the lawgiver in two ways. The first way is just to, to ask you to consider, does the world know you're his disciple by the way you love others in Christ? I mean, Jesus is love. He says, you are to love each other as I have loved you. That means our standard, our call to love one another, it's a standard that it's the same as Jesus's. And so Jesus, in his love, how did he love? He, he didn't look out for his own self-interest. He didn't say, I got to look out for number one. He looked for us in our needs, in our concerns, in the things going on in our life. He did this through, through a sacrificial death. He says, I love you so much. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You have broken the law. And so what he does is he lives a perfect life, dies in our place out of love. And in his resurrection gives us new life. So that's how we're called to love each other. So the first layer of this is to say, how are you doing? Laying aside your preferences. Laying aside your desires. Laying aside your expectations. How are you doing putting other people in front of yourself and sacrificially serving them? I imagine each of us say, I, I see a place where I can grow. But that's actually the, the smaller level I want to look at here. I want to, I want to step back. I want to, I want to zoom out. And I want to remember, this actually isn't about us. Jesus is the lawgiver. I want us to remember that Jesus is the one who fulfills the law, who then leads us in law. And the law is the law of love. One Christmas song, it puts it that way, doesn't it? It says, his law is love and his gospel is peace. So the bigger layer here is to say, wow. Wow. Jesus isn't just the law fulfiller. He is the one who fulfills the law and then calls us to walk in his law, which is love. You, you see this? What we're doing today, we're, we're, we're rubbing our eyes, we're clearing anything off, and so we can we not miss seeing the fullness of who Christ is. The Lord Jesus is judge. Wow. I forget that sometimes. 
The, the Lord Jesus is lawgiver. Oh, yeah. I forget that sometimes. But let's keep going. Back to Isaiah 33, 22, the next description. The Lord Jesus is king. He's king. How does Jesus speak about his kingship? If you go back to to John, you go to Jesus' arrest and his flogging and, and his mistreatment as he's preparing to climb upon that cross and to pay the price as our substitute, as our sacrifice. You get to John 18, verse 36. Listen to these words Jesus says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, it's not of this world. He, he's got servants in his kingdom. Who are these servants? Psalm 24 gives us a hint of this. Psalm 24, verse 10 says, Who is the king of glory? Who is the king of kings? Who is the Lord of lords? Who is the king of glory? Says the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. The Lord of hosts. That's a, that's a strange title, right? Lord of hosts. We don't use that phrase. What does hosts mean? Does it mean he's really good at setting the table and having people over? He's a, he's a great host? No, the Lord of hosts. This is a term for the armies of heaven. The angelic hosts. This is a term for a moment ago when we read that scripture from Luke chapter 2 when the angel came and announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. First of all, there was one angel. You imagine that was marvelous. But then, then the skies were filled with what? The hosts of heaven. This is Jesus' kingdom. You go to another passage, and when Jesus is on the cross, Matthew 26, verse 53, Jesus says, Do not think, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? Listen to this. And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. The idea here is that at Jesus' crucifixion, the angels were, they were, they were, pushed to the very edge of heaven in anticipation of one word from the Father when they would invade the earth and rescue their king. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but it will be. Jesus says, my kingdom is not one where I come to conquer, but it was one where I come to die, but he will come and conquer his kingdom will be, it will be consummated. It will be brought to completion. One of the pictures of this is in the book of Revelation when all of the nations are rebelling. They're waging war against King Jesus in the end times. Look at verses 14 of Revelation 17. It says, and they, the, the nations of the world, will make war upon the Lamb. Now, this is a weird term if you're not familiar. Jesus is called many things, and one of the things he's called is the Lamb. Because in the Jewish sacrificial system, they would sacrifice a perfect lamb without spot or blemish in anticipation of the one true Messiah. Jesus is that one perfect sacrifice. He's the lamb who died to pay the price for our sin. And so it says, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords. 
and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And Jesus is a great king. He's a benevolent king, but he is, he is the conquering king. Now think about this. In a little while, we're going to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the third verse is, O come, O come, thou Lord of might. Have you forgotten about the might of King Jesus? Do you picture Jesus, especially in this Christmas season, does your mind go to Jesus as an infant, as a a helpless babe, and in your mind, your mind's almost stuck with Jesus and his, his vulnerability as an infant? Or, or, or maybe you, you, you go and your mind does. It pictures Jesus as the Savior, as the, the sin bearer, as the one who died for our sins. And, and maybe in your mind you, you see Jesus in his, his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness and his love. All of those are perfectly true. But do you forget also he is Lord that he is judge, that he is lawgiver, and that he is king. Those are our first three descriptions here. Judge, lawgiver, king. But let's look at the fourth. In the fourth here, instead of saying the Lord is something, it, it's a phrase of anticipation. It's a phrase of hope. It's a phrase of looking forward to, to the Messiah that would come. The last phrase, it says, he will save us. See, the Lord Jesus, he's not just judge. He's not just lawgiver. He's not just king. The Lord Jesus is savior. He's savior. Now, if I were to ask you to to find a verse in the book of John that talks about this, I imagine there'd be many of us in this room that would go to John 3.16, oftentimes considered one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible, as well it should be. It's an incredible passage. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, right? But, but in this moment, I want you to look at John 3.16, and I want to go one verse past that. And I want us to consider Jesus, the Lord Jesus, as Savior. Listen now, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in in order that the world might be saved through him. This is an incredible passage. This passage shows God's heart. God so loved. God so loved the world. God so loved us. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son, the unique, the only one of that kind, the only son who was the second member of the triune God who has existed for all eternity. He sent him to come and give his life. You get to verse 17 then. Says he, he didn't come to condemn the world. You want to know why? The world was already Condemned. The world that Jesus found when he came in the first century is very similar to the world that we find today, where mankind is rebellious and selfish, where we're self-centered and where we're evil, where we we all have said to God, God, you know what? I'm not going to listen to you. I want to do things my way. 
This is what I want, and so I'm going to get what I want, regardless of what you want, God. And so Jesus comes not to condemn. The world is already condemned. He came so that the world can be rescued out of condemnation so that you and I, when we believe, we will not perish, but we can have eternal life. And this is, isn't this the core of Christmas season? The core of Christmas season is, is not simply to remember Jesus was born, but it's to remember the entirety of his life, perfect, sinless, to remember the sacrifice that he gave. This is how he becomes Savior. I almost wish that Jesus could have come to earth and said some you know, special words and waved his hand and said, your sins are all forgiven and everything's happy. And That's not how it works. Salvation is through sacrifice. When he died to pay the price for the consequence of all of our sin, when he was buried and then resurrected to give us life. That's what makes him Savior. This is what makes him worthy of honor and praise. This is why, hopefully, during this Advent season, as we were looking at titles of Christ, and so much of this is just marveling at Jesus, this is why my hope is that your jaw just, you have to pick it up off the ground occasionally. I mean, you think about a few weeks ago, we looked, Jesus is God with us. And we looked at the the significance of that prophecy 800 years before Christ and how he fulfills it perfectly. And hopefully we were left just saying, wow, isn't Jesus amazing? And then last week we looked at him as the wisdom of God. And we we just, we exalt, 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 lives. And hopefully you left here saying, wow, isn't Jesus amazing? And today... Today we come here not just remembering that Jesus is Savior and full of grace, but we also come remembering he is Lord and full of truth. What I would argue is maybe my favorite Christmas verse comes in John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1 begins like this. It says, in the beginning, just like Genesis In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in John chapter 1, it's in the beginning was the Word. It says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and for the first time reader, you're left saying, what what is the Word? I don't, what, what, what is this? I'm not tracking. And then you get to verse 14. Verse 14, in a few words, it encapsulates the Christmas morning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus in his incarnation. This is Jesus in his birth and life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father. Listen to this last phrase. Full of grace and truth. Say say those words with me. Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. This is what we're looking at today. See, I, I, I don't want you to come today and, and gravitate toward Jesus as the Lord who has all truth because he's the judge and because he's the lawgiver and miss out on the rest of Christ and his grace and truth. I also don't want you to come here today and, and wrap your arms around the grace and truth of Jesus as our Savior and forget that he's a Savior that doesn't say, I've saved you, now go be happy. He says, I'm a sa- your Savior, now come follow me in holiness. You know, what I, I don't want you to do is have the wrong kind of eggnog if you're following with me, right? 
I don't want you to settle for something less than the real thing, the real Jesus. And I think sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we, we grab onto the characteristic we like about Christ and we forget that we're continuing to be continually pursuing him in his fullness. Now, a few years ago for Christmas, we, uh, we gave our kids a combined present. It's a great way to save money, by the way, if you, if you ever want to do it that right. And in our family, our kids kind of know like that they're going to get something they want and something they, they need, something to wear and something to read. It's a little rhyme we heard years ago. We kind of gravitate toward that. It keeps us from going kind of crazy at Christmas. And so that, that Christmas morning, the, the kids, they opened up their presents. They opened up what they, they needed. They found out it was probably like socks or underwear. They opened up something to read. I always get to pick that. It's really fun. They opened up uh, something to wear. I don't know. All those presents. But then they were left being like, where's, where's the want? Where's the big item? Where, where's, the, where's the thing we were hoping for? And, you know, what it was is it was a trampoline. It was wrapped in the garage. And we said, oh, yeah, what about the last present? And we pulled a little card off the tree, and it, it was the beginning of a scavenger hunt throughout the house. And it was one where we made up, like, riddles for each of the next locations. And so they, it wasn't just, like, go to this room. It was like they had to figure out this riddle. And they had to go from room to room, upstairs, downstairs, under beds, in drawers, boom, 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 boom. And, and the thing is, throughout this time, as they were anticipating the gift, they didn't get tired. They didn't get bored. They didn't get lazy. Every time they opened up another clue, their excitement increased. Every time they found out something else, the, 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 their anticipation, it grew. In fact, their voices started getting higher and higher as they were running around the house till finally they came to the spot where they, were unable, or they were able to unwrap this present in the garage. It was a trampoline. It was a great day for them, except for I had to build it, so not so much for me. But that said, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And he, here's what I think. I, I think that's actually how, that's how we're supposed to be pursuing Jesus, have you become content with the small vision of Christ? Have you become comfortable with an incomplete view of the true identity of Jesus? Let me ask you, are you someone in this room today that maybe you lean toward that grace side if it's a spectrum? And so you potentially at times excuse your sin really easily? Or maybe at times you're unwilling to talk to others about their life and, and what they're doing. And, and Jesus is just, he's so full of grace and so full of love, but you forget that John 1.14, he's full of grace and truth. Or maybe you're a little over here on the other side. If the spectrum is slid all the way to the other side, are you someone that you know truth, that you love truth? In fact, you're living a pretty holy life, and you're pretty good at poke, picking out the people that aren't living a really holy life. And you know Jesus' truth, and you know that they should be obeying him and following him, and, and maybe in your, in your allegiance to truth and your desperate grasp to the beauty that is truth, you forget about his grace. You forget it, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You forget that, that Jesus was friend of sinners and he loved them toward their repentance. Let me ask you, what side of the spectrum might you be on? See, see this morning, 
Now, I'm not asking you to slide from one side to the other. I'm just asking you to look at Jesus who was full, full of grace and truth. Listen, he wasn't 50% grace, 50% truth. He was 100% both. That means he is not 50% Lord and 50% Savior. No, he is 100% Lord and he is 100% Savior. And so today, your invitation, come and find the grace and truth that are in the Lord and Savior. I want to end a little bit differently today. We've been reading through and singing through this, uh, this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the third verse is where we're at this week. And the third verse, I'm just going to be honest, it is the weirdest of all of them. It doesn't make a ton of sense and you're kind of left scratch your mind. I don't connect the dots well. At least I don't. And so this week we, uh, we actually re- rewrote the third verse. We rewrote it so that it really does reflect Jesus as the Lord of might, specifically around some of the texts that we talked about today. So I would like to read this for you. I would like to pray, and then I want to invite you just to sing with us as we recognize the glory and the majesty of Jesus as the Lord of might. So let me read this final verse for you. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who reigns from heaven's holy height, lawgiver, judge, king, and leads us in the law of love, be thou forever praised above. Can we stand together and pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the Lord of might. God, we ask that you would remove any any kind of cloudiness from our eyes that keeps us from seeing Jesus as he describes himself. God, I pray that you would humble us today as we realize that Jesus is the judge and we will all stand before him. And God, I pray that 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 sober reality would lead us to believe in him so that we can have confidence on that day that we will be passing into eternal life. God, we, we recognize today that Jesus is the lawgiver. He, he gives us the ultimate law, the law of love. And God, we thank you so much for the way he has loved us. And Father, today, we again, we, we confess that we don't always love each other the way we're meant to. And so, Father, today, help us. Help us to love each other. Help us to consider one another. Help us to set aside our preferences, our desires, our expectations, even our needs. Help us to do these things out of love as we care for our families, as we care for our community, as we care for our church. And Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is our king. Thank you that his kingdom is not like these earthly kings. Thank you that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Thank you that he one day will reign supreme visibly before all. And thank you that we get to be those with him who are called and chosen and faithful because of his faithfulness. And God, we praise you and we thank you that Jesus is Savior. Thank you that Jesus died in our stead. 
that he was resurrected from the grave. Now we have life. And Father, we pray today that as we live this life, that we would live lives where we see Jesus as Lord and as Savior. We would live lives that embrace his grace and his truth. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.